I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. If you're new to this series, I'm a longtime student of last day's biblical prophecies. And to navigate these dangerous times, we have to be able to apply biblical truth wisely to what is going on in the sectors that are pertinent to the end of days, such as the pandemic. People thought the virus would disappear and we'd go back to normal, and now we have an even more contagious variant. To make matters worse, people seem to want to blame those who chose not to take the vaccine. But that blame is misplaced, because the vaccine is not the main issue. The issue is that we are not hearing the severity of the judgment that God has released through this virus. Now, if you have not listened to an earlier episode called God's Purposes for Pestilence, please do. We need to get the message why we are still dealing with a pandemic. You can find this podcast on the podcast page on my website at candislong.com. Look for God's Purposes for Pestilence. Today's episode concerns a recent headline I saw in the mainstream news. I want to show you how reading it through a biblical lens can unlock critical wisdom for how to navigate these times. Here's the headline. The Tale of the Poison Hemlock. Now, before I read the article, I want to introduce a biblical concept. The first chapter of the book of Romans in the New Testament says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and wickedness of men, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His invisible nature, God's invisible nature, namely His eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Now, God speaks to us in many ways, such as through nature itself. And when he's had it up to here and about to unload his judgment upon a nation because of wrongs that we have done, nature is one of his biggest billboards. Just the other day, the headlines in USA Today read, Toxic Poison Hemlock is spreading into U.S. parks and backyard gardens. Now, this is a powerful tavnit, which is like a parable that carries within it multiple layers of truth. Here's what the article said. Poison hemlock, which looks like Queen Anne's lace, is spreading. This is a toxic, invasive species that can be deadly if eaten. What's troublesome is that it has invaded U.S. parks and backyard gardens. One expert with Indiana's Natural Resources Conservation Service said, quote, It just hit this exponential rate of spread. Poison hemlock was nowhere, and all of a sudden it was everywhere, unquote. 
It can now be found in nearly every state in the United States, according to the National Park Service. And this is the time of year that poison hemlock spreads and grows its footprint. Each plant produces a lot of seeds, up to 3,000, that ripen between late June and August. And the seeds easily scatter during late summer mowing. Unfortunately, the article continues, it has spread too broadly to get rid of it. So the experts say the only goal right now is to try to manage and control it, unquote. Now, I'll include the source of this story on the description notes of this podcast at CandiceLong.com. But let's look at a few takeaways. Number one, a dangerous thing is growing in areas that were never intended for it to grow. The land was given to us by God for our enjoyment, to take families to nearby parks and breathe in the magnificent air that used to be in abundance in the country. This is yet another sign that our territorial borders to peace and quiet are being breached. Now this brings up the question, why doesn't God do something? I believe he is. In this article, God is preaching a sermon. He's saying your once peaceful borders have been breached by something that is poisonous and can kill you. Now this begs the question, how can a border be breached by something evil? It cannot, unless there is a just cause to warrant the breach. Let me explain. Proverbs 26.2 says, A curse that is causeless cannot light. Now this verse means that there has to be a just cause for evil or poison to come into our parks and backyards, into our families, into our borders, into our communities, into our bodies. There has to be just cause. In other words, we have to have done something wrong to reap that consequence. Now, Satan appears before God in the heavenly courts 24-7, just like he did in the first chapter of Job. And he accuses us of things day and night and lays out his evidence. So once he's made his case about something or someone, If there is no evidence according to God's biblical laws of justice, the case is dismissed. But if there is proof, God is obligated to uphold every law that he put in place and recorded in the Torah. God's judgments concerning how he ruled on transgressions of spiritual laws are called mishpatim, And we are instructed by God to learn more about them, about his legal rulings, because they have tremendous application to what we're going through now. Now, if we study the Mishpatim, we will learn how God deals with wrongdoing. We can know what God is like and how he acts. He assigns punishment to match the crime. Now, we see this in the common expression, we reap what we sow. We get back exactly what we dish out. 
So when we see bad stuff happen, whether it is a sudden crime wave in a city or wildfires targeting a particular area, what we have to do is look at what the outbreak is. And by using a biblical lens, we can usually identify the area of offense that has been done against the Lord. God does not want us to be destroyed. He wants us to repent and reform our country. But first, we have to know what we've done wrong and make amends for those things. We can't sweep bad stuff under the rug. He shows us the root causes in many ways, like in this article, if we analyze it correctly. The article is saying that we have mismanaged the territory that God gave us, and the sins that we have committed are so grievous that he has given our borders over to be breached by poisonous plants. Now let me show you how to investigate further so we can track down the root problem. First, we need to see that the problem is traced back to something that grows in the ground, something that shouldn't be poisonous, but is. That's clue number one. Clue number two came with an article sent not long ago by a minister colleague, which blew the whistle on a specific company that allegedly sells human fetal tissue to food manufacturers to make their food taste better. I was horrified and began to look deeper into this company and was astounded at the number of well-known brand names of products that supposedly include fetal tissue as an additive to enhance flavor. Now, you're not going to find fetal tissue on the list of ingredients of products. I make it a practice never to falsely accuse a company or a product without doing a lot more research because I have learned that one of the things that God hates most is an attribute known as Lashon Hara, which is Hebrew for evil tongue. God considers this murder to say bad things about someone, for it has the same power as murdering or killing that person's reputation in someone else's eyes. God hates Lashon Hara. Now this is an especially grievous sin that many are making today because with social media, we are trashing everyone. This should not be, and we need to be very careful. Now to dig a little more into this story. Why would food companies need fetal tissue to enhance the flavor of their food? I'm going to show you that there is a just cause not only for breaches in our territorial borders, but also to breaches in our body's immune cells themselves. In other words, somehow we have opened a door to disease brought about by actual curses placed on our ground But where did these curses come from? What did we do to deserve them? And can we reverse them? The first curse, I believe, stems from embracing, growing, and eating GMO foods. A GMO, genetically modified organism, is a combination of something God made and man engineered. You recall in Genesis that God created everything according to its kind. 
a phrase that was used 17 times in seven verses. Every kind of food was created by God to nourish us, and he pronounced each kind good. It was never meant to be mixed or tampered with genetically. Rather, each species was given to us to care for, to grow, and tend for the benefit of mankind. But mixing seeds became the order of the day during the days of Noah, instigated by the Nephilim, under the leadership of Satan, who is a master at genetic engineering. This is where he excels. It was this very technology and the pollution of the vegetable and animal kingdoms, as well as the hybrid race that the Nephilim manufactures and cares for to this day, that made God so angry he destroyed the world by a flood. Now, from a biblical perspective, we are reaping today what we have sowed over the last 40 years, a biblical generation, by forsaking all of the laws regarding food and land management that God established for us in the Torah. If God has an issue with mixing seeds, we should be quaking in our boots because not only did we create the GMO technology, but we have exported GMO food to billions of people all over the globe. Now, sadly, many Christians say, well, I didn't start this GMO problem, so I have to eat whatever they sell in the stores. Surely God understands that. An additional argument is that many believe that once you say a blessing over the food, no matter what food it is, that automatically that food is cleansed. But I want you to consider this true story from Bible teacher and minister Miriam Hellman from her book, God and the Gods. Quote, A few years ago, I was ministering in Madurai, one of India's temple cities. Now, having been there four or five times in the past, I never had noticed anything unusual. But on this particular visit, however, something seemed strange. I did not know what the strange thing was, but I was keenly aware of its presence. We stayed in a lovely hotel overlooking the city, but there was something very unusual about the food we were served. I've eaten Indian food in India for years and always find it enjoyable. But this time, for some reason, the food did not have any flavor. It tasted strange, and you felt strange after eating it. Yet I couldn't put my finger on it. One day, a Christian lady came to see us at our hotel, and we invited her to stay for lunch. No sooner had she eaten one morsel of the food when I mentioned to her, I don't know why, but there seems to be something different about this food. And she replied immediately, Oh my, we are eating food that has been sacrificed to the gods. What do you mean, I asked. I thought that when the Apostle Paul taught us not to eat food sacrificed to idols, that he meant that a Christian should not allow pagans to believe that there was any validity to their superstitions when they offered something to a demon or said a prayer over their food. Through this experience, I learned that this is not what Paul meant at all. He then sacrifices, in reality, are sacrificed to actual spirits. 
Paul was, in fact, substantiating the reality of the presence of demons and warning Christians not to participate with them by eating the food offered to them. The Indian Christians explained that real spirit beings come and physically partake of all the nutrients and sustenance in the food. They literally suck out all of its beneficial properties and leave the food devoid of all taste and nutrition. Now, I'm telling you this story because it explains why food companies need additives to enhance their food's flavor. The gods, with a little g, that we've talked about much in this series, have sucked out all of the nutritional value and removed the taste from the food that has been dedicated to them or grown using genetic manipulation. God cannot bless this food. Now think about it. Much of our food comes from God knows where and grown on land perhaps dedicated to different gods, the Nephilim. Therefore, the food, though it may look good, is totally devoid of nutrition, and that damages our immune system and opens up our bodies to disease and death. This food is exported all over the world, and customers complain when the food has no flavor. So now the food manufacturers try to fix an unnatural food source, and they come up with this brilliant idea of adding fetal tissue, which somehow makes the food taste better. Now we're reaping a second curse. By making money off the abortion industry, which God hates, by harvesting fetal tissue to feed the world. Now God's really getting mad. Did you know that the Torah teaches in Deuteronomy 28 that one of the signs of a cursed nation is that its people will eat their own children? This is exactly what we are doing now through this practice. That means that everyone who participates in this global industry will be held accountable. The women who choose to abort, the counselors the women go to for help facing an unwanted pregnancy, the abortion clinics, the government leaders who pass laws allowing these practices, the participating doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers, the pharmaceutical companies, the chemists, the food manufacturers, all the workers who are employed by them, the distributors, the grocers who sell the products containing these fetal tissues, the consumers who buy them, and all of the investors and money managers who make money off the buying and selling of stocks in every company involved in this industry. This one issue alone encompasses billions of people who are responsible for opening the door to a curse and who have forsaken an important biblical concept, the fear of the Lord. But the question that would not leave my mind, what does fetal tissue have to do with enhancing flavor? After quite a bit of digging, I found the answer. Buried deep within a document, I read that the specific part of the fetal tissue that this company I was researching was using was the fetus's taste bud receptors. Now, what was the number one symptom that people complained about when they caught COVID-19? It was the loss of taste 
and smell. I want you to see God's justice displayed when he enacted punishment. He went right to the root of our sin to help us see it. Shedding innocent blood and making money off of selling the fetal tissue having to do with taste to cover up the genetically modified crap that we call food. And he answers this generation by taking away our sense of taste through a plague. We have reaped what we have sown. Take away two from this article. The line reads, Poison hemlock was nowhere, and all of a sudden, it is everywhere. Unquote. When we do not respect God's ways and we refuse to repent for what we have done, basically he takes his hands off. He removes the divine protection that we used to enjoy. The final takeaway is a warning. The writer says, This is the time of year when the poisonous hemlock has the greatest danger of spreading. This is saying that we have a very limited window to do what we can to help manage this spread. They said it's come too far to get rid of. So is this what God is saying to us today, that we have gone too far, that there is no hope? I want to share with you how I have come to terms with living in a nation under judgment. Number one, Jesus said that we were to be his light in the world. So as the culture gets darker, I'm spending more and more time with the Lord. I bring that light to my clients and to those whom I coach and teach and mentor. Number two, I've taken to heart what God told Jeremiah. For he lived during the time when Jerusalem's walls were breached by evil forces and he watched Babylon burn the town and destroy the temple. But Jeremiah did not run off and hide. He stood his ground. He spoke boldly, uncovering the sins of the nation and called for repentance. And he counseled leaders when they came to him asking what God was saying. But then God asked him to do something very interesting. He asked him to invest in property, even though the nation was collapsing. So I began to think of ways that I could invest to help build up my country and my area. And I'm currently involved in this in several ways. Number three, I am getting my affairs in order, and I'm packaging my own legacy of what I want to leave behind what I want to be found doing when the Lord comes. I'm convinced it will be soon. So I'm careful of who I spend time with because the window for meaningful work is limited. We either choose to bring light to whatever we're doing or we're contributing to the poison for which we are now being judged. Number four, I stay away from confrontations and from difficult people. I respect another's right to make decisions regarding their own bodies and how to handle this pandemic. And I expect that same respect to be given me as well for my decisions. And number five, above all, I try to walk humbly before my God, maintain a clear conscience before Him, and am sensitive to those things that He has led me to do, such as this podcast series. 
Now you can find this episode and others on my podcast page at CandiceLong.com. I want to thank you for sharing this time with me. I don't take for granted that you have pulled away to spend this time. Feel free to email me with specific questions that you are wrestling with so I can bring them into future episodes. I'm Candace Long. I hope you will join me next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.